the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He became a humble servant, a man, to do the bidding and will of his father so that you and I might have eternal life. Now that is the humility of Christ that we're focused on here today on Way of Grace. Hi there, and again, welcome to our Friday broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We have been spending a lot of time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, taking a look at Jesus as he humbled himself, emptying himself, that he might become a servant, willing to do the Father's bidding, and the benefits go to you and I. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Verse 8 is where we find ourselves today. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with this Friday broadcast of Way of Grace. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 4 just to underscore this for those of us who may not know the language of Revelation chapter 4. Let me see if it's around verse 6. Yes, here it is. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne and round about the throne these same four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Verse seven. Here it is. Watch this. And the first beast was like a what? That's Matthew's gospel. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And the second beast was like unto a what? That's Mark's gospel. The ox that treads off the corn. That's why when you open up the book of Mark, he's immediately the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's treading out the corn. He's preaching the gospel. He's knocking down false religion. He's knocking down demons. He's just destroying every foe and going about the work of his father's business. Do you see it? Then thirdly is the image of a what? That's Luke's gospel. He's the son of man, the son of man, the son of man, saving Jews and saving Gentiles. Behold the man is what Pilate said. Behold the man. Behold the man. He is the quintessential Adam, is he not? He's doing exactly what Adam should have did. Adam was trying to steal God's glory. Christ set aside his glory. Adam should have been working, but Christ is the one that's working. The last Adam got it right, didn't he? Treading out the corn. He's the ox. And what I love about Revelation 4, 6, for those of you who um, I have your attention, you notice in in, uh, uh, Ezekiel 1.10, he was called an ox. Here he's called a what? Because that ox ultimately has to sacrifice himself in our behalf. That's the rest of verse 8. And he became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. So he treads and he treads and he treads for his father's glory and for his love for his people until he is slaughtered and the blood pours out and they sacrifice him an atonement for our sin. 
That's where we're going. We're almost there. But you see the image, do you not? Show you one more thing about it. It's absolutely a phenomenal concept. Acts chapter 4, this is where Peter is crying out to God because they're being persecuted for, uh, for Christ's sake. And I just want you to notice a nuance in the language. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 25. In Acts chapter 4, 25, here's what Peter says. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine what? A vain thing. Will you notice that David is called a what? A servant. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. The kings of the earth. I'm sorry. Look at verse 26. Let me start there. Uh, Acts 4, 26. The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his what? Now, what psalm is that, ladies and gentlemen? Psalm 2. So Peter is prophesying from the Old Testament, is he not? Notice what he says about Christ in verse 27. Here's the word. Here it is. Now watch this. For of a truth against your holy what? Now, some of you guys have a different translation. Raise your hand if you do. If you have a different translation. Do you know what your translation says? Servant. Servant. Do you know why? Because that word there, pious, pious, uh, pious, can be translated servant. This is the way it's translated in Matthew chapter 12, servant. And what is the idea? And, and, and the translation is valid. Both translations are valid for it to be a son or a servant because in the Jewish culture in the first century, a child differed nothing than a slave until he entered into his inheritance. So the idea of being a servant is the idea of being a son, a son who is under training, who is under education, who is under discipline. We've talked about that many times, have we not? And this same word here is used uh, in Matthew's gospel to affirm the same thing. Matthew chapter 12, pull up Matthew 12. And here's what God says about Christ using the same term in Matthew chapter um, 12, if you will, verse 18. Just look at it. Matthew's 12, 18. Watch this. There we go. Behold my what? Whom I have what? My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Who's talking here? God the Father. Who is he talking about? God the Son. Is that right? What did he just call him? That's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 4. Different translators translate it differently because in the context, if the context is affirming or asserting the chronological age of a child being younger than what is considered an adult, he'll be called a child. But in fact, he is a servant. Now, is it true that Jesus in the sight of God is a child? Of course, he's his son. But is it also true that he's a servant? That's exactly right. And this is where I say what I love about the fact that Christ chose to take on the form of a servant first is because he knew at the very conception of his incarnation, he would have to be submissive to and dependent upon and subordinate to other people to take care of him. Here he is, God Almighty. And he voluntarily, actively chooses to set aside his glory. And he does something that you and I, I ain't ever going to let somebody that I don't think has the adequacy to take care of me if I can take care of myself. And the very world that Christ has to uphold, he has allowed its economy to be a means by which he's upheld. Imagine him entering into the womb of Mary. He's God now dependent upon the whole gestation process and development of the pregnancy. Is that right? 
He has to depend upon nature. He has to depend upon people. He has to depend upon Mary being wise about what she eats and where she goes and how she rests and how she sleeps. He has to depend upon her and Joseph delivering Jesus adequately because remember, it was Joseph and Mary in that precarious situation. And then, and now we are moving into our third point, then we have a whole litany of a life that Jesus has to live. This is point number four. He was discovered and manifested to be a real man. Now, when I use that term, discovered and manifested to be a real man, it's simply said this way in verse eight. And being found in fashion as a man. Do you see that? And being found in fashion as a man, and being found. What does that mean? That means when all look at the claims of who Jesus was, from the conception to the time that Jesus said, it is finished. Manhood is written all on it. Are you guys hearing me? He was a man in his conception. The mystery of the union of the Spirit of God upon Mary is the only exclusion that we have in terms of what we call the biological union of a man and a woman. But here we have the collaboration of the third person, don't we? For Christ could not assume a human nature without the third person hovering over Mary. So we have the third person engaged in the incarnational work, right? But then after he is conceived in the womb, Mary has him born in Matthew's gospel chapter 2. And he's born and now him and, and Mary and Joseph have to live together for several years. Little baby Jesus being taken care of by a mother and a father. And it's documented, isn't it? His persecution is documented. They're going down to Egypt is documented. They're coming back and living in Nazareth is documented. Him going to the temple at 12 years old is documented. Him them being anointed in Matthew chapter 3 at the age of about 33 is documented, is it not? He's a grown man now. And according to Matthew 12, when they hear him preach, they say, don't we know this dude? That's because he was a real man. We know his mama. We know his brothers. We know his sister. We ain't going to listen to this dude. That dude from Nazareth. There ain't no good thing coming out of Nazareth. All that affirmed his humanity. But it did more. Because see, if you were God and you had to come, would you choose Oakland? Or L.A. or San Francisco. No, you're going to find one of the hottest spots on planet Earth, hot meaning to you, fashionable, and you're probably going to be born by a wealthy mama and wealthy daddy to get all the resources you possibly can, but not so with Jesus. This is what it means by him humbling himself. And if you really were to do the biographical on Jesus, you would discover this that he lived with parents who struggled financially almost all their life. That's how humble he was. Because what he is doing is demonstrating what we see, saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. There was a little city, and in it few people. And a great king came against it. Do y'all remember that again? And besieged the city round about. Do you guys know what that little city is? It's the city of humanity. You and I are small concern, uh, compared to God. Humanity is a little city, isn't it? According to God, we're not, nothing but a drop on the bottom of the bucket. There was a little city with few people in it, meaning that uh, we've been around for some 10, 12, 15,000 years. We ain't been around that long. Compared to God's eternity and compared to the life you and I live, we're not around that long. 
We're few, we're small, and our life is like a weaver's shuttle. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We're like a vapor, are we not? We are insignificant in compared to the eternity of God. And this is the world that Jesus comes into. And guess what he owns as an attribute of his humanity? Poverty. That's humbling yourself. God enters into humanity at the level of poverty. And he struggles with poverty with his stepfather and his mom all the days of his life until his ministry. And even then they reject him and laugh at him because he's a Galilean. And I didn't already told you when you understand the language genre, Galilean is country, that's country Aramaic. That means you know how y'all have these weird accents coming from North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas. Y'all, y'all with those weird, crazy accents. Huh, huh, Kansas City and all that. All right, with those real, right, and we go, what's all that about? And you say, what? We sound normal. Y'all sound crazy. It was the Galilean genre, Galilean accent that exposed Peter to the little servant girl. We know you from Galilee because y'all country. And my point is, is that Christ chose to walk in the humility of poverty. Are you hearing me? That's humble. For you do know the grace of God that's in Christ. Though he were rich, that is possessing all eternal dignity. Yet for your sake, he became what? Poor. That we through his poverty. See, this is what it means by him to empty himself. Empty himself, empty himself, empty himself. Under point number four, I'm just going to articulate these and close with point number five. He was discovered and manifested to be a real man. The observable witness and testimony of men was, we know who he is. His dependence as a child, I just expressed that. His progress and growth as a person, didn't we just express that? His limitations as a creature, isn't, aren't those amazing? I'm thinking about John 4, 6, where he's wearied and sitting at the well of Jacob. Now, God doesn't get weary, but Jesus did. And, and then Jesus goes to a fig tree because he's what? God said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. But he was hungry, right? And, and, and then Jesus calls 12 men to do ministry with him, right? Why does he need 12 men? Well, because he needs fellowship too. Do a study on that. Fellowship is essential for all of us. He loved fellowship with his brethren. He needed it. He was a human being. And then this is absolutely remarkable. He is willing to be taken by the creature. That's John 19, 32. Don't go there. Remember when they just decided, okay, we're going to kill him. That's when the hour of darkness had risen and they were completely insane. Let's go get Jesus. And what he did was he, he burped. Remember he burped? And they all fell backwards. <laughs> he just burped. He said, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Boom, I am. And they all fell backwards. Remember, he let, his, he let a headlight come up. <laughs> you know who you're dealing with right here. And he voluntarily allowed them to take him. I love the way Isaiah put it in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. He gave his cheek to the smiters. See it? He gave his face to the smiting. I got two hands and you know what's going to happen. Unless you're too big, then I'm going to run. <laughs> but our master gave his cheek to the smiters. And he made the hands that smote him. Do you guys understand what we're getting at in the kenosis doctrine? 
He gave his cheek. He hid not his face from shame. And what? Now, didn't we learn last week that God gave uh, Miriam leprosy a couple weeks ago? for playing the dozens, for talking bad about Moses. And God says it's all together as if her father had spit in her face repeatedly. And I told my guys last night, this is amazing because people might get mad at the Numbers 12 narrative of God smiting uh, Miriam with leprosy. But see, God can do that. You know why? Because he can heal her. Right? I wound and I heal. He healed her after seven days. But here's the reality. The God man was spit on by you and I. Look up at that text. You did that. I did that. If you ever blaspheme the name of God, if you ever say, oh, Jesus, you're spitting on him. And we are a lot of Christians. I just worry about whether or not your sanctification has even begun to work with the kind of shallow way you talk about Jesus. You hear me? Oh, my God. Quit. Just quit. Because it's a, it's a kind of irreverence that indicates that you are failing to be conscious of all that he did to make you a child of God. And especially using the name Jesus. Am I making some sense? Am I making some sense? Yeah, see, so one of the purposes for which you and I live as children of God is to honor his name. My message next week is about the name. And there was a name given unto him above every name. This is called his exaltation. This is going to be an important message. You want to hear it because you don't know what that text means. I promise you there's a lot there to learn. The one that bailed his reputation, the one that took on the role of a servant, the one that took on humiliation and now is moving into his propitiation. That's a big word. You know what that means? A sacrifice necessary to satisfy the justice of God the wrath of God that was due you and me. This is Isaiah 53, 10. Pull it out. I'm close here so we can take the table. Listen to Isaiah 53, 10. I'm going to show you three verses. Isaiah 53, 10, please. Uh, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12, and then I'm going to back up to verse, to chapter 52. Yet it pleased the Lord to do what? Who was the him? Who was the Lord? The Father. It pleased the Lord to bruise the Father. I mean, the son, he hath put him to what? Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is what it means to be humble. This is what it means to be meek. I told you two weeks ago, meekness is the process by which God constrains you. He holds you in. He fetters you. He does not allow you to have your way. Y'all know that's true, right? He holds you back. He opens some doors, shut other doors. He suppresses your desires. He thwarts your plans. He allows certain difficulties in your life and they're designed to cause you to ask the question, why, Lord, why? Good, because God has always wanted a conversation with you, but you've been too busy. So God allows things to happen in your life, namely trouble and namely pain and namely grief and namely struggle so y'all can start talking. Remember, God's the one texting you so that you and I can learn how to go, not my will be done, but thine. This is the language of a servant who is controlled by a master who loves him enough to make him a son when it's all done. Do you hear me? 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he makes his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in the hand of his servant. Verse 11. This is Isaiah's language concerning the servant of God. Here it is. He shall see of the travail of his soul. Who is the he? The father shall see of the travail of his. Who is the his? Christ's soul. And God shall be what? Satisfied. This is the mystery of the gospel. Where you don't know or believe that God poured on Christ his wrath to make Christ a sacrifice for sin, you do not understand the gospel. You do not understand the gospel if you do not know that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, he made him, the father made him to be sin for us. That is a huge statement. Him who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There it is, that grand collaboration between the father and the son. The son disrobes himself. Didn't we learn that last week? As the king of Nineveh, he disrobes himself in obedience to his father. He comes down to earth. He lives a life of humility. And now he voluntarily goes to the cross. Not my will, but thine be done. And the father is pleased with making him to grieve. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. He was filled with burdens and filled with troubles. And none of them were his. They were all ours. None of them were his. They were all ours. He came from a place where trouble was strange, where sorrow was never heard of, where pain was ridiculous and absurd. And he entered into a place where it all exists for me, for you, if you believe the gospel, for his people, for his sheep, for his bride for the church of the living God, for the elect. Are you one of them? Do you believe the report? Do you see Jesus Christ as the lamb slain for your sins? This is the story of the God who came from heaven to earth in our behalf. Let me, let me help you see it one more time. Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52, just an amazing, uh, an amazing view of the same image before we close. We are at now at that point in the Carmen uh, Christi that speaks to him being obedient, even obedient unto the death of the cross. Here it is, chapter 52, and notice what it says in verse 13. Behold my servant. There it is again. See it? Behold, my servant shall deal what? Prudently. What do we mean by that? In the mystery of the incarnation, in the mystery of his lowliness, in the mystery of him living in the world and the world not knowing him, in the mystery of him, the world be made by him and the world receiving him not. That's prudent. He came and died and went to glory and no one really knew, but a handful of people. That's prudent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A handful of people. My servant shall deal prudently, and then he shall be what? Exalted and extolled and very high. That's next week's message. The principle is always this, saints, before honor, what? Humility. And have you and I been sprinkled today with the humility of Christ? Do we understand what great love God had towards us and that he gave his son a propitiation for our sins? Are you humbled a moment by that, just for a moment, 
by him doing something that you and I don't have the nature to do or the grace to do without God helping us? Are you resolved from this day forward to ask God to help you to go down before you go up so he can get the glory? Amen. Studying God's word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.